Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Nabil Nakvi. Nabil is a real estate lawyer who operates Nakvi Law. He has completed well over 5,000 real estate transactions and specializes in the areas of secured financing and all matters related to residential real estate with offices in Richmond Hill, Pickering, Ajax, and mobile signing officers available 24-7, NACVI Law is ready to serve you wherever you are in Southern Ontario at your convenience. In my interview with Nabil, we discuss what happens if a legal issue comes up when you're buying a home, the difference between title insurance and a survey, and important questions to ask when you're looking to hire a good real estate lawyer. Without further ado, here's my interview with Nabil Nakvi. Hi, Nabil. How are you doing today? Oh, hi, Sean. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. I've wanted to have a real estate lawyer on for a while because I think having home buyers and home sellers understanding the legal process is so important because as we'll be discussing, there are things that they can do to help avoid situations, legal situations that can be a bit of an issue later on. So I thought there's no better person to speak to than yourself. So excited to be speaking to you today about real estate law. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for keeping me in mind for this. And it's, it's a great honor to, to be talking to your audience, which I know has been growing over the years. And I know they're all either have purchased homes and looking to buy new homes, or in many cases are first time home buyers. So this would be a great opportunity to kind of get into the nitty gritty of the legal process. Uh, so they at least know uh, what to expect and what to avoid. Great. Well, let's get started then. So let's start off with a general question. What does a real estate lawyer do exactly, Nabil? Okay, yeah, that's a, it's a great question, the first question. So once we have been retained as the actual law firm uh, or the lawyer is when the, the real estate or legal work actually begins. Uh, and so what I mean by being retained is that uh, you will uh, reach out to your real estate lawyer. Most probably he's been referred to you by your real estate agent or another friend, uh, or maybe you went online and you've reached out to this lawyer and explained to him that you're purchasing a property. There'll be some back and forth exchange, uh, usually around fees and and what the lawyer will be charging. And then at some point, I, as a lawyer or another lawyer, is retained to act on the purchase of this person's new purchase. Once I've been retained, we send out an introductory email or a letter uh, that uh, is requesting further information from the purchaser so that we can open our file and begin actually doing the legal work and along with other information as well. So the most important things we do is we confirm things in that letter, like the closing date. You'll be surprised. Sometimes people don't even know what their closing date is. They just know it's in, in November or in December. We confirm our fees and disbursements which are out-of-pocket expenses, as well as the land transfer tax that the client can expect to pay on the transaction. Uh, We confirm how the clients will be taking title. So there are many different options and and, and varieties of ways of taking title. 
uh, depending on if you're married to the person you're buying with or they're your friend uh, or a business partner, uh, that will influence how title is taken. Number four, we confirm mortgage particulars. And that's of particular interest, I think, to you and your podcast. We confirm whether the client is getting a mortgage. Of course, there are some cases, uh, believe it or not, where people buy all cash. Uh, I'm not one of them, but uh, I do have some clients who, who do do this. But in most of the cases, you know, there's a mortgage and we need to get that information so we can reach out to that lender and, and start getting the, uh, the mortgage uh, ready as well. We confirm title insurance and different options for insuring title uh, and opinions on title. We, we discuss status certificates and confirm that the client has, has a copy of that, if that's applicable, if it's a condo, for example. And then uh, the intended use of the property and the characteristics of the property. Is it a rural property? Is it in cottage country? What are they going to be using it as? Is, is it a single family home? Perhaps there's two families that will be living there. But number eight, we confirm fire insurance or home insurance. So the, the, the purchasers understand uh, the importance of that. And in some cases, it's mandatory uh, when you are getting a mortgage, as mentioned before. We talk to them about utilities. We confirm that they need to set that up uh, with our help, of course. And then we talk about the most important thing, keys. Uh, we confirm to them when they will be receiving their keys and when they can expect to pick those up from our office. Uh, we confirm uh, that they do have to sign documents with us, with one of our, our lawyers. And uh, an identification, ID, uh, making sure that they have government ID, making sure that they're Canadian citizens. Uh, because if they're not, then obviously there are other implications for that. So after we've confirmed all that, uh, Sean, I know, I know I'm kind of getting um, uh, rambling on here a bit. Then we actually start, we can start doing our, our legal work and, and what lawyers actually do. So we do our title searches and execution searches after that. We send a letter to the seller's lawyer. We have to confirm who the seller's lawyer is because that's the person who's going to be transferring the title to us. And we send them a list of uh, things they need to fix or, or things that they need to do before closing to get the property ready. The seller's lawyer then will send us their documents along with the statement of adjustments, which is the main component of the seller's documents. It tells us how much money we have to send them, the balance due on closing, on the closing date. And so this would be uh, a statement which has your purchase price and then adjustments for your deposit, for property taxes, and, and common expenses if applicable to condo. And once that's done, we, we prepare our own documents. We meet with the clients to discuss everything from A to Z. Uh, with home, first time home buyers, we, we take additional time. It can take up to two hours to go through everything um, and make sure they're comfortable because this is you know the biggest purchase that they'll most probably make in their entire life. And after that's done, you know we uh, basically are, are waiting for the closing date. On that date, we receive the money from the lender and combine it with the funds that the, the client has brought us. We work with the other lawyer to close this deal. Uh, and at, at, on, on that date is when we hand over the keys. We follow up with the purchasers after that to make sure they got in the house and there's no you know, holes in the wall or, or something is missing. And then a few days after that, we prepare the final report for the client to, uh, to give them a copy of all the documents that they signed and, uh, and just a report uh, on the transaction and, and what we did and how it went. And, and they have a copy of that for their records for, for future purposes. So in a nutshell, Sean, that is what a real estate lawyer does. Oh my goodness. That, that's <laughs> definitely why I call real estate lawyers the unsung heroes of a home buying process, just because you do all that important work behind the scenes that I'm sure a lot of people aren't aware of, but those all sound like very important steps. And if like if one of them were missed, then you know it could kind mm -hmm. of cause everything to unravel. So 
definitely, you know, it's Correct. great to have a trusted real estate lawyer like yourself who's so thorough taking care of that just to make sure that all those steps are uh, taken care of in a timely manner. Yes, that's, that's right. And like you said, that's a very important point. It, it did seem like a lot of things, but if you, even if one of these things are, are missed, uh, it can cause you know, severe complications and headaches for, for, the, for the clients and for the lawyers involved. So yes, every one of those steps is actually very important. Great. And real estate lawyers, it's not just buying a property that you can reach out to a real estate lawyer. Like, for example, could you tell us like what else real estate lawyers do? Like, it's my understanding Mm -hmm. that if you're looking to update the title on your property, let's say your parents originally co-signed in the mortgage and are on title and you want to remove them, a real estate lawyer can help you with that as well. And if you're doing a refinance on your property, a real estate lawyer could help you with, with that as well. So perhaps you could just Tell me briefly about when else you can help people with the transactions besides just uh, like a purchase. Absolutely, yes. So you hit uh, all of them on the head. There's three uh, other main areas that real estate lawyers focus on. Uh, it would be the, that naturally the sales because you know uh, as people purchase houses, someone has to sell. So you know every purchase has a corresponding sale. Uh, although you know one lawyer cannot act for a purchaser and seller on the same transaction, you, you do need to have two separate lawyers in two separate law firms. The other thing we do, as you mentioned, uh, is refinances. So when you're not actually buying or selling any property, it's, it's a property you already own and you are uh, you know, pulling equity out of that property, hopefully for investment purposes, but more common is you know, for debt consolidation purposes and, and things like this. And then the uh, third main area is the transfers of property. And this encompasses, uh, as you mentioned, you know, taking people off title, adding them to title, removing them from mortgages, adding them to mortgages, gifting a property from yourself to your son, for example, or from yourself to your father, uh, gifting a property to your wife or to your spouse. Uh, This is also considered a transfer of property. People assume it's just a gift, but the government actually views it as a full-on transfer of property. Uh, So that is a a main area uh, that we focus on. And they can get complicated, especially the transfers, because some people believe that, you know, we're just transferring the property, we're just changing the name. You know, why should we have to, for example, pay land transfer tax again on this? So that's usually something that hits people by surprise that if uh, if you're transferring a property or, or even gifting a property to someone, and for example, there's a mortgage on that property, then, you know, there would be land transfer tax payable on the amount of that mortgage that that person is assuming. Those are the the three other main areas uh, that real estate lawyers do. We also uh, help with uh, creating wills and powers of attorney because those are naturally a part of, uh, you know, when you, when you do purchase property, you want to make sure that if if you pass away or something happens to you, that uh, it it would go, the property would be transferred to who you want it to be transferred to. If you're not in the country or incapacitated, then you want to have a power of attorney uh, so that you could still close your real estate transactions uh, if you needed to, to, to close them. Great. Thanks for explaining all of that. And further to the legal process, how long does the legal process usually take on a purchase and how much should home buyers budget for the costs of a real estate lawyer? Oh, yeah. So two really great questions and uh, two of the, uh, the, the most important questions and, and the first questions that usually we get asked. So how long does the process take? So ideally, uh, and I say ideally because there are times when we deal with rush transactions, but I'll talk about that later. Uh, Ideally, we receive the agreement of purchase and sale two to three months in advance, okay? So you've gone with your real estate agent, 
you found the property of your dreams, put in the offer, it's, it's firm now, and, and, and now you're waiting for the closing date. So at that point, your real estate agent should advise you to reach out to a lawyer. And typically speaking, the closing date would be you know, 30 to 90 days out from when you sign that agreement of purchase and sale. I get the file, let's say two months before closing, and then the legal process really begins at that time. And the legal process would end theoretically with, with the final report, assuming that there aren't any post-closing issues that need to be dealt with. So that's how long it takes. And, and that's still kind of the life cycle or, or the, the timeline of, of the closing date. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we do get rush deals. So there are times where I'll get the agreement of purchase and sale, sometimes two or three days before the closing date. So you can imagine how stressful and how delicate that transaction can be. Wow. And how much more prone to error. Yes, uh, that, that, that does happen for, for mul- multiple reasons. And so we have to do all the work that we talked about earlier, which usually takes about two to three weeks in, in, in two to three days. So we have to rush our title search. We have to rush our requisition letter. And we have to make sure the other lawyer gets us everything that we need so that we can close the deal on time. As for the budget, I usually tell people that for the legal fees, they should be budgeting anywhere from $1,000 to $2,000, depending on the lawyer that you use. And for disbursements, which are out-of-pocket expenses, so for example, we have to do a title search on the property you're buying, that can cost anywhere from $100 to $200. And we also have to order couriers and also print documentation. So these disbursements are typically around $500, but they can go up if, for example, there are issues that need to be rectified with title. So after doing the title search, you find out that there are some liens or some instruments that have been registered against title that need to be removed. Otherwise, you can't close your deal. And that is potentially something that could end up costing you uh, more money. But that's something that your lawyer should uh, explain to you and, and make sure you understand before you, you, you sign that retainer agreement with them. In, in terms of the budgeting, I would say anywhere from, from $1,500 to, to $3,000 is, is what you should budget, Sean, for the, for the legal process. Great. And I'd probably say it's better to overestimate rather than underestimate because you never know what could happen. So yeah, thanks for explaining that. Certainly is mm-hmm. very helpful to the listeners mm-hmm. in terms of budgeting. Great. Uh, and this is a question that I've wondered uh, about myself, and it would be great to get your perspective on this, Nabil. What's mm-hmm. the difference between title insurance and a survey? Is one good enough or should you always have both? I've heard people dif- answer this in different ways over the years, but I'd love to hear your perspective on this because it's something that comes up. Like I don't know how frequently, but it, it definitely comes up on purchases. Oh, yes. It's, it's, it's a great question. And I actually have written an article about this, which uh, we'll discuss that at, at the end uh, where people can read that about surveys and, and whether they're important and whether you actually need them or not. So surveys are something that were very common at one point, but as the years went on and really after after the year 2000 and and when title insurance companies really took a stronghold, at least in Ontario, for real estate transactions, you really saw a a dip in, in the amount of surveys that were being prepared and provided by sellers to purchasers. Now, some lawyers will simply argue that, yeah, you have title insurance, you know, so that insures over all the risks. Of, for example, you know, your boundaries not being where you thought they were. This may be true. However, practically speaking, what people need to understand is title insurance can only address problems which are related to you having to, you know, for example, remove a structure on your property. In other words, strict boundary issues are not something that's covered by title insurance. 
So you can imagine uh, how problematic that could be if the, the, the lines of your properties are not actually where they are. And later on, you found out that 50% of your property is actually owned by your neighbor. Sorry to jump in, but on that note, have you ever had a client in that situation there and it didn't play out so well? Yes, yes. We, I did have a situation. Now, it wasn't a big percentage, like I mentioned, 50%. It was around 10%. The, the client in, in, in question came to me. I wasn't the lawyer who did the transaction, but they came to me after they went and did a survey years after they had purchased a property and found out that actually their property line was about 10% uh, decreased from, from what they originally thought that they, that they were purchasing. Long story short, because the title insurance company at the time did not insure over this risk, that client basically lost out about 10% of the value of the property when they went to, to sell the property again. So that's something that has a real monetary impact that you can see financially affected a person by not having a survey. Now, mind you, that's one out of thousands of transactions that I've come across. And personally, I've never had an issue like this. That's my only caveat to, to title insurance. Yeah, title insurance is great. And at the end of the, at the, end of the day, they will protect your title, but there are limitations and, and, and there are certain things like where actually your property is located. It can only be confirmed by a survey. Okay, great. Thanks so, so much for explaining that. So would you say that it's good for people to get both of them or it's really a personal decision about if they want to take that chance of them being the one in a thousand people that it happens to? Yeah. So what I tell clients, it comes down to what you're doing. The, the cost of getting a survey, which can be thousands of dollars, need to be weighed against the risks of what you're doing. So if you don't plan on ever, you know, making any improvements to your property or, you know, having or building a pool or anything like that, then you can get away with taking that risk because title insurance will protect you. But if you know for a fact that you're going to be doing some significant work on this property, especially when it comes to uh, to digging and and, and to, to making any substantial uh, structural changes to the property, I would highly, highly recommend that you get a reliable survey from a certified uh, surveyor. And then that cost will, will really end up being very insignificant when it comes down to what it can actually show you in, in terms of the, the, the problems that you might be getting into. Great. Thanks so much for your insight on that. For most people, I would say that the real estate transaction will go perfectly fine, no legal issues at all. But let's say that something does come up. What happens if a legal issue does occur during your transaction, like during your real estate home buying transaction? Mm -hmm. And how could have you protected yourself? Like I know you can include condition of financing, condition of home inspection. Is there some sort of condition you can include when buying a property to avoid a situation where you find out the crown has like a lien on your property or something like that? Yes. And, and those are the issues that would come up in, in our search as lawyers. They would be issues relating to title. So for example, a lien by you know Her Majesty the Queen has a lien on your property, for example, because the, the seller uh, didn't pay their income taxes and now the government has registered a lien on the property. That is something that would come up well after you have agreed to purchase this property and, and something that can really delay your closing if that lien is not taken care of and discharged prior to closing. So that's a real life example that, that has happened where we've, we've found uh, these CRA liens and, and they need to be dealt with. The good, the good news is 
is that in the standard OREA agreement that most purchasers use when they're buying through a real estate agent, in that agreement, there is a clause, I believe it's clause eight, it refers to title, and it's basically a safeguard in there that, that says that even if any issues do come up with title prior to closing, the seller agrees to rectify these issues so that the closing can take place. When it comes to title issues, we're protected. But some more practical examples of issues that could come up, for example, you go on your final inspection and all of the fixtures in the property have been removed. That's happened to me in the past. And uh, we had to contact the seller's lawyer to find out what happened and why they did it. Because in the agreement, they agreed to include all of the fixtures. So when, uh, sure enough, when we contacted the seller's lawyer, they were just as surprised as we were. And then uh, we had to, to go through an entire uh, song and dance to get some of the things back into the property that were you know, illegally removed, essentially. And other things that were not returned, uh, we had to uh, basically get compensation for that on the final closing statement of adjustments. These are all examples of potential uh, serious issues that can come up that can, can, can derail the closing. Um, a tenants is also a big issue. Sometimes you purchase a property with tenants and these tenants become a nuisance and uh, they have decided that they do not want to move out of the property. So this, uh, you know, beautiful home that you've purchased and you're, you're planning on moving in and, you know, your kid's school starting soon. Now you have tenants living in there who don't want to, uh, to vacate the property. So that was a nightmare case that uh, one of our clients came in and we had to go to the landlord tenant board and go through an entire process of evicting the, the tenants. And that delayed the closing by about 30 days. And for that entire time, you know, the purchasers had to live in a hotel and uh, obviously very stressful to say the least. That's why you should hire a good real estate lawyer so that they can help you through those situations there because it doesn't sound like the most fun situations to deal with, but I'm glad to hear that basically you're protected through the purchase and sale agreement. So uh, that's at least some peace of mind because I would assume that most people think that everything is fine with the title than when they're buying a property, but it's good to know even if there's huge liens, you're protected. So that's great to know. Absolutely. Yes. Liens wise, which is the main issue, you, you have protection built in, but everything else you need to, to, to take up with your real estate lawyer. And, and that's why, you know, communicating with them and making sure they have all the information is, is key. Something that we're seeing a lot more these days is people are purchasing properties with other people. So it may not be their significant other, but it may be a family member like a brother or sister, or even some people are buying a property with friends, like I have a friend where he's buying a rental property with an, another of his close friends. So just wondering from a legal perspective, any advice when buying a property with somebody like a sibling or a friend where it's probably not going to be forever? Uh, how can people from a legal perspective protect each other in case disagreements come up later? And also when somebody wants to sell the property as well, how can you kind of make sure that's done correctly initially with the real estate lawyer? Absolutely. Yes, that's a great question. And uh, we are seeing a lot more of this now that people are using, you know, XYZ person to not only just go on the mortgage, but they're also going on title. So they're guaranteeing the mortgage and also they're also on title for sometimes for a certain percentage or, or sometimes as a joint tenant. But what you don't want to do is, is leave everything till the end, <laughs> which a lot of people do. You want to make sure that everything is in writing. Uh, whether you do that through an agreement or a trust declaration, which is also something your lawyer can help you with. That agreement 
for that declaration will then actually set out the terms of the arrangement that you're entering into with that person. Especially with family, we see this a lot in friends. It's everything is verbal. Everything is, well, you know, you told me that you'll be paying this much of the mortgage and I'll be paying this much of the property taxes. And then inevitably there's a breakdown and it, turn, it turns into a he said, she said thing, nothing is in writing. And it ends up being a big disaster and usually ends up, you know, in front of a judge in court. To avoid that, my best advice would be to, to before the closing even happens, have a declaration or an agreement that each person understands how much money they're putting into this transaction. Who's going to be paying for what? Who's paying the mortgage? Who's paying the carrying costs, the maintenance? You know, who's responsible for making sure that the hydro payment goes out? That's number one. Number two, on the sale, same thing. In that same uh, declaration that your lawyer can help you draft, it will say what happens when the property is sold. Are all the proceeds going to be uh, paid out to pay out all the debts, the mortgages, and then whatever is left over is going to be distributed on a certain uh, percentage? Or is, is it all going to go to one person? All this needs to just be written out beforehand so that in the future, even if there is a dispute, at least you have something to back up and say that, well, this is what we agreed to. This was drafted by our lawyer. And, you know, in some cases, they might even get an independent lawyer to, to provide them advice on that document so that they can, they can really can't come back and say, well, we didn't know what we were doing. So long story short, have it in writing, not verbally. Great advice. Thanks so much for sharing your insight on that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. On another interesting topic, something that we're seeing nowadays as well is private sales. Let's say that your parents want to sell you the family home. You may decide to do a private sale because it really doesn't make sense to have a realtor involved in a situation like that. So yeah, could you mm -hmm. just share your insight on how like it works with a real estate lawyer doing a private sale? I mean, from being a mortgage broker myself, I know from a lot of lenders, they want buyer and seller. Like if it's a parent selling the property to one of their children, they want it to be two separate lawyers. So that's one recommendation I would have. Like don't use the same mm -hmm. lawyer because a lot of lenders frown on that. But yeah, just interested to hear your thoughts and how the whole legal process works and any advice uh, when doing a private sale. Yes, uh, absolutely. Great, uh, great point. So this is actually another part of, uh, of what a real estate lawyer does is getting involved in these private sales. Now, I, I will say that, you know, I love all my real estate agents and, you know, they are the lifeline of our business, but you don't actually need uh, a real estate agent to, to sell your property, as you mentioned. And not only when you're just selling to your family members, but for example, I had a case recently where my client was approached by his neighbor and said that he wanted to, to purchase his house and they agreed on, on a price. The seller, my client was, you know, he sold for over $2 million. And so he was able to avoid the, the, the real estate commission on that by just calling me and having me draft up a proper agreement of purchase and sale, which looks very much like, you know, what the real estate agents use. And it covers all the bases. As you mentioned, you still need two lawyers. So the purchaser found his own lawyer and the purchaser provided the deposit to me instead of, you know, a, a real estate agent or a real estate brokerage, $50,000. So that went into my trust account pending the completion of the transaction. And the purchasers, you know, they, like you said, they went to their lender. The lender said, okay, that's great. You're doing a private sale, but we still need an agreement. And of course they had it. 
and it was, uh, you know, it had all the conditions in there that the normal the normal agreements would have, and and so the the lender uh, in this case was Scotia Bank, and they were happy with that, and they funded the deal, and my my client saved uh, whatever you know real estate commission they would have paid on on a two million dollar sale. I would definitely advise that if you already have a purchaser and you're looking to to, to sell your property, then strongly consider. Uh, just going through the lawyer because the lawyer will protect your interests and you'll 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 save the money that you'll be paying in commission otherwise. But obviously, real estate agents make their money when when you don't have someone who's who's buying your house. So it's not like we're we're, we're cutting them out of the process. We're just saying, well, we've already done the hard work. We found the purchaser, so we don't really need to get a real estate agent involved. But you'll be surprised, Sean, how many people still in the situation I mentioned to you will still get a real estate agent involved uh, for whatever reason. I guess perhaps they want to know what the fair market value is of their property or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like mm-hmm. you said, you really don't need to have a realtor involved. And I mean, if it's a sale of uh, the family home between family members, and I mean, if this parent represents a big chunk of their net worth, and this is money that they're planning to use towards the retirement, you know, saving that realtor's commission can, you know, really go a long way to helping fund the retirement. So just something to consider when doing a private sale. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Great point. This is the question that I've been excited to ask you about. What are common mistakes that you see in real estate transaction and and what are your best tips to ensure the legal process goes smoothly? So feel free to share some stories from some of your clients. I'd be interested to hear practical advice that uh, our listeners could take away and and so that they can make sure that their uh, transaction goes as smoothly as possible next time and they avoid some of the mistakes that you've seen over the years. Yes, absolutely. That is a great question and also what I wanted to focus on as well. I would say that the biggest mistake that I see in general revolves around the issue of communication. For whatever reason, clients do not feel comfortable communicating with their lawyers and lawyers likewise for some reason leave communicating to the client on the back burner or to the last minute so what what i found is that and in many cases clients come to me with these rush deals is because they've sent the transaction to their real estate lawyer 3 months ago and that lawyer has not bothered to contact them to call them to email them or do anything to even acknowledge that they are acting on the transaction. The number one thing is communication. When there's no communication, it's going to be a disaster. You're going to receive the statement of adjustments a day or two before your transaction, and you're going to see a whole bunch of charges that are not going to make any sense to you. And worst case scenario, you will not have budgeted for that. And now you're scrambling to to find an additional $10,000. A real life scenario where a client came to me after having a bad experience with his lawyer, and so now we had to close this deal. And 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 one common uh, mistake that that that, that new home buyers make when they're buying a, a new house, and and I think you can speak to this as well, Sean, is is with, with respect to CMHC. Now, as you know, if you're putting down less than you know a certain percentage, twenty percent, then you will most probably be looking at an insured mortgage. Now, these insured mortgages and the brokers who set these up for the clients are notorious for not explaining to the client every single fee that's going to be charged to them when they're doing this mortgage. So inevitably, in 99% of the cases that, that, the, that you do have these CMHC deals, when the client comes to see me, 
or when we've sent the, the final figures, the fund summary to the clients, they call me and say, hey, Nabil, what's going on here? I thought I was getting, for example, $500,000 from my mortgage, but I'm only getting $480,000 in the mortgage. And, and inevitably, the CMHC premium and the PST that's payable on that premium has not been discussed with the client. And so they think they're getting this, the full amount of the mortgage and they're actually getting 20 grand less. Uh, so that's a common mistake that I see. And then, and then you see clients who have their entire life savings been saving up for this transaction and they think they have enough uh, only to be told that they need to find an additional $20,000 within the next you know, one or two days. Otherwise, they could uh, default on their agreement of purchase and sale and potentially lose the deposit they've paid and potentially be sued for more money if the seller ends up selling that property for less money. So you can see uh, how that can set off a huge chain uh, of, of events uh, that can lead to a catastrophe. And, and what are my best tips to ensure the legal process goes smoothly? So communicate. It's never a bad idea to send an email. If, if you have an option, you know, whether I should send it or not, always send that email to your lawyer and say, hey, I haven't heard from you in a few days, in a few weeks. Is everything on track? Can I get an update on my file? Hopefully that lawyer is is on top of things and, and is already keeping you up to date. But if they're not, that would at least make sure that, that that lawyer is working on your file and doing something. And if you don't hear from that lawyer in the next 24 to 48 hours, then you really know something is wrong. So communicate, communicate, communicate. Do not leave things to the last moment. If you find that your lawyer is not communicating with you, you're not getting answers, that might be a sign that you know this, this might not be uh, the right uh, relationship to be in. So that's, that's the most common uh, mistake that I see. The other thing I see is with first-time home buyers, they believe that they'll get their, their keys you know, either the day before the closing date or you know, sometimes in the morning or very early on in the day of the closing date. That's not the case. More times than not, you get your keys around 4 or 5 p.m. And that sometimes is a shocker to people because they may have moving trucks lined up and whatnot. But if they just had known that they were going to get their keys at that time, they would have scheduled their day accordingly. So we always tell our clients that you're not going to get your keys until around 4 or 5 p.m. in the day. And then, you know, sometimes it ends up happening earlier, but inevitably it's always around that, around that time. So, yeah, long story short, just communication. You should be getting some type of letters from your lawyer, some type of email, just outlining what they need and what you need to do and what the timeline is for the transaction. Great. Thanks so much for sharing all those helpful tips, Nabil. I really appreciate it. And just wanted to ask you, what are some important questions to ask when looking to hire a good real estate lawyer like yourself? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great question as well. The, the number one thing I'll do, and, and I'm just speaking from experience of when people come to me and then why they come to me. And one of the, the main things is people forget to ask whether they'll actually be meeting with a real estate lawyer. A lot of these real estate law firms are notorious for handing your file off to either um, a paralegal or a law clerk or sometimes maybe even just a mobile signing officer. And uh, this person who is not a lawyer shows up to you or to the meeting and you sign all the documents with them. And sometimes they can answer questions, but sometimes they can't. And in any event, they're not even a lawyer. So I would say just make sure you ask the person that, will I actually be meeting with a lawyer? Will a lawyer be handling my transaction or will it be a law clerk? And the other question would be revolving around just access to that lawyer and communication. Just make sure that, hey, if I do have a question, 
will I be able to get an answer back within, you know, a certain amount of time, a reasonable period of time? And can I have a direct access to the lawyer who is going to be handling the file? So those are the two main things I would say uh, to, to make sure when you're hiring a, a good real estate lawyer. Great. And I guess in terms of rates and fees and all that, perhaps get that in writing as well. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Uh, you should receive a, a, a quote in writing outlining not only the legal fees and disbursements, but also outlining how much title insurance you can expect to pay and how much land transfer tax and how much registration costs you can pay, uh, you'll be expected to pay. And, and that should all be in writing uh, before you make your decision. Great. Well, Nabil, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for asking, Sean. You've inspired me as well. I'm starting my own real estate law podcast, and I would like to have you on as uh, as, as one of our first guests. I know that might be a bit of a surprise, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I do want to have you on as one of our first guests. So that's what we're working on. And as I mentioned earlier, we do have some helpful articles on our website, nacvlaw.ca, nacvilaw.ca. And uh, there's an article in there about surveys and why they're important and uh, how uh, you can make sure that you're protected when it comes to, to reviewing those surveys as well. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at Sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.